0: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network This is your host, Robert Silva And today, I will be running down and recapping The iconic and historical upset that Dimitri Boval pulled off last night Against Saul Canelo Alvarez, exactly as I predicted last week on the Pound for Pound podcast. Bovar, for those who listened and for those who didn't listen, go back in the archives and go mid midway through the show. It's about a five minute uh, segment on last week's uh, podcast where I stated how Dimitri Bovar would win and. Boval did exactly what I said he would do to win, as I predicted, a convincing 12-round unanimous decision. Boval is just too wrong of a fighter for Canelo Alvarez to fight. Bavall has a beautiful left jab. Bavall throws combinations. Bavall, like I said on last week's podcast, doesn't know how to lose. The man has lost maybe 11 or 12 rounds throughout his entire now 20-fight career. He doesn't know how to lose. And when you fight a guy with those type of skills that doesn't know how to lose, historically, he is extremely difficult to defeat. Now on to recapping the entire 12 rounds. Round one, Bavall came off, and he dominated the first round by using that beautiful left jab of his. He landed that jab at will. Canelo landed a couple of nice, decent body shots, but not enough, not enough to offset the beautiful jab that Bavall used in the first round. Rounds two, three, and four, I gave to Canelo off of aggression. Canelo from rounds two to four, this is, this is what I believe. But Canelo saw in the first round that Baval had that incredible left jab and Canelo was like, you know what? I've got to up my ante. I've got to up up my aggression. I got to up my offensive output. And from rounds two to four, I had him edge, had him edging out all three rounds on the basis of his body work and his aggression. And Baval stayed comfortable. Baval stayed relaxed. Not at one time did Bavall panic. He continued to jab, and he landed his own shots, just not as potent or as effective as Canelo. So after four rounds, I had it three rounds to one Canelo. Fifth round, Canelo amps, amps up his aggression again, and midway through the round, Baval lands a beautiful 3-4 punch combination where two beautiful right crosses landed, and Canelo looked for a brief second to be stunned as he backed up against the ropes. This, ladies and gentlemen, I believe, was the turning point of the fight because A, Bavall saw that he could hurt Canelo, and B, five rounds, and Canelo, although he's landed some hard body shots and a couple of wicked hooks and uh, right crosses to Baval's chin has not moved Baval Baval sees that Canelo cannot hurt him. And beginning with that flurry in the fifth round, Baval began to dominate. Sixth round, it was all Baval as he began to land three, four-punch combinations and he began he began to triple and quadruple that beautiful left jab of his. That left jab is a work of art. Baval, in my opinion... Is a better version of the former German middleweight world middleweight champion Felix Sturm who was egregiously robbed in his fight against Oscar De La Hoya back in 2004 one of the worst robberies in boxing history as Sturm basically defeated Oscar De La Hoya with his battering ram of a left jab Bavall has that type of jab but he throws better combinations he's got better ring generalship than Felix Sturm ever had round seven and round eight more of the same as Boval began to back up Canelo Canelo looked very tired and Canelo began to go up against the ropes inexplicably at the time I thought but no he was tired he was trying to get that second win but Boval never put the never took the foot off the pedal Now he was the aggressor Behind that beautiful jab of his Round 9 Canelo sensed desperation And Eddie Reynoso probably told him In his corner he needed To win every round from this point on Round 9 Canelo Was the best round of Was his best round of the fight Landed several thudding combinations to the body And In my opinion easily won that round But the tank was empty. He threw everything out in the ninth round, and no, he couldn't hurt Baval and Bavall landed his own shots, and Bavall was smiling, and he was comfortable and relaxed, and he never stopped pumping that jab. Rounds 10 through 12 was all Bavall behind that jab. Quad- like I said, quadrupling that jab, tripling that jab, landing combination after combination on Canelo. All I heard all week was, Oh, what a great defensive fighter, Saul Canelo Alvarez. Oh, oh, he's going to make Baval miss and pay. No, he didn't. Baval landed twice as many punches as Canelo did throughout the whole fight. Baval had his way because, like I predicted, when you have a jab like Baval's, it's tough to beat a man with that ring generalship and that great of a jab with those combinations and who doesn't know how. How to lose. Bavall finished strong, sweeping the last three rounds, winning a unanimous decision, and I had it 116-112, eight rounds to four. Bavall, just like the three judges had it 115-113, I don't understand how they had Canelo winning the first four rounds because I thought Bavall clearly won round one, and I agree that that Canelo won round two, three, and four, That being said, the three judges saw the fight the same way I did from round five on. They, like myself, gave Boval seven of the last eight rounds. Boval wins the unanimous decision. And Boval sets himself up for a lucrative rematch with Canelo because Canelo put in a rematch clause that if he was to lose uh, to uh, Boval, he'd have the opportunity to seek an immediate rematch. I'm going to give Saul Canelo Alvarez some free advice. Leave Dimitri Boval alone. Leave this Russian general in the ring alone because in the rematch, I guarantee Baval will splatter Canelo's caucus across the ring. He's not beating Boval. Boval, like I said last week, is the same type of fighter that gives Canelo problems because he has great counter punching ability and he has canelo's kryptonite what's that a beautiful jab look at the his toughest fights in his career against austin trout floyd mayweather erizlandi lara and the first fight with triple g all four fighters employed beautiful jabs in that fight and that's what Baval did canelo has no answer for that no answer. Yeah, maybe he ups it and tries to get into a brawl, but Bavall's counter-punching prowess will put Canelo to sleep if Canelo amps up his offense more so in the next fight than he did in this fight because in this fight, there were points where Canelo was doing nothing, where Canelo was laying up against the ropes looking exhausted and gassed. Now, Canelo fans are going to say he took this kid like too lightly. Uh, no. Canelo Alvarez takes no one lightly. Canelo Alvarez is as hungry at 31 as he was when he was 15 the day he turned pro. Canelo wants to prove to the world that he is the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. So in order for him to do that, he has to continue to win in a dominant fashion. Canelo did not take this young man lightly. Canelo... I believe, believe that no one could beat him. And you know what? When you're an all-time great fighter, you should believe no one can beat you. But this time, he went one division up too too much. And, oh, and I forgot to mention this. The last time he went to a light heavyweight, he fought Sergei Kovalev. And while he knocked out Kovalev in the 11th round, the majority of the fight Kovalev, a washed-up Sergei Kovalev, was out boxing Canelo Alvarez. So, kudos to Dimitri Boval for making me look good. Kudos to the brothers out there. I want to shout out uh, my brothers Larry and Carl. Uh, both those brothers out, out there on Twitter put money and won big money on Canelo by uh, following my advice. Look, I'm not a gambler. I haven't gambled in over 12, 13 years. Uh, I don't advocate gambling, so please, uh, if you uh, make a place a wager on what I said on this podcast, tread lightly, please. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody's wife calling me at 3 in the morning to talk about it. It's because of you, we lost the house. Kudos to Dimitri Baval, And now, before I get into my weekly my weekly recap and rundown of one of my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years um as you mm-hmm. listeners know and for those who are listening for the first time on the fightgamemedia.com website i write a article weekly article on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years um Soon number 14 will be coming out Well this podcast Dedicates The second half of each episode To me reading An an excerpt From the series And today I'm reading the number 41 fighter of the last 45 years And that is Terrence Bud Crawford But before I do that I want to give an updated, my updated pound for pound list. And I'm just going to go top five in the world right now. And this is my pound for pound list. My updated list. Number five, I've got to go Shakur Stevenson. As we saw, Shakur Stevenson totally dominated Oscar Valdez. Uh, I predict by next year, Shakur will be number one on this list. Right now, he's number five. Number four because of the momentum coming off last night's historic victory over one of the greatest Mexican fighters of all time, one of the greatest fighters of, of the 21st century. Dimitri Bivol is now my number four. My number three fighter in the world is Alexander Usyk, who will be fighting Anthony Joshua in the next few months uh, to, uh, uh, in a rematch of, of uh, Usyk's victory over Joshua last year. My number two, pound-for-pound fighter today in the world is Terrence Bud Crawford, the man I'll be talking about today, my 41st greatest fighter in the last 45 years, and my greatest fighter today, pound-for-pound pound active, the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter on my list, the greatest Japanese fighter of all time, the monster from Japan, Naioa Inoue. Now on to Terrence Bud Crawford and my number 41st fighter of the last 45 years. I wrote this article a year ago and I wrote, In my 45 years of following boxing, Terrence Crawford is as complete a fighter as I've ever seen. He's an incredible counterpuncher, a sublime defensive fighter, and is the single greatest switch hitter in his incomparable way of shifting from orthodox to softball, softball style in an instance. Since he first debuted on HBO eight years ago, well now it's nine years ago, with his sizzling victory over Bradis Prescott, Crawford has been one of the five greatest fighters of this current time period. And we're talking about the last nine years. Overall, he's the 41st greatest fighter of the last 45 years. On March 1st, 2014, Crawford traveled to Glasgow, Scotland to fight for the WBO lightweight title held by the then-undefeated Scotsman Ricky Burns. Despite fighting in front of a raucous crowd, rooting heavily for their countrymen, Crawford outboxed at Al Fox Burns the entire bout to win a 12-round unanimous decision to win his first world championship. Do you know how dominant a fighter has to be to win a unanimous decision against a Scottish fighter in Scotland. That's how Gray Crawford looked that night when he wrestled, wrestled the title away from Burns. Crawford followed up his title win by making his first defense in his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska against then-undefeated Cuban star Yorkis Gamboa on June 28, 2004 in front of 11,000 of Crawford's hometown people. Although although Crawford knocked down Gamboa four times before referee Gennaro Rodriguez stopped the fight in the ninth round, Gamboa gave Crawford the toughest fight of his career. Gamboa outboxed Crawford throughout the first three rounds before Crawford switched to a softball stance beginning in round four. From that moment on, Crawford dominated the fight before finishing off the Cuban sensation. Gamboa was never the same after suffering the beating administered by Crawford. As you could tell by his last fight against Isaac Cruz and his fights against Tank Davis and Devin Haney, Yorkies Gamboa has no no business fighting in the ring. He's a walking corpse and he's a walking uh, comatose victim. Okay. Crawford closed out 2014 by handily defeating Mexican warrior Ray Beltron in a 12-round shutout to claim his first Ring Magazine World Championship. Feeling that he had nothing left to accomplish at 135 pounds, Crawford began 2015 by moving up to the 140-pound junior welterweight division. Crawford moved up to the 140-pound division on April 18, 2015, April 18, 2015, to fight for the vacant WBO title. In what has become a staple of his championship fights, Crawford put on a virtuoso performance, stopping Thomas Delorme in the sixth round to win the title. This was the beginning of a two-year reign that saw the division's most dominant champion since the early 1980s reign of Aaron the Hawk Pryor. After two successful defenses, Crawford took on Victor Postel for the, uni- for the unification of the WBC and WBO titles. Postel was supposed to be Crawford's stiffest test, as he was considered by many boxing esper- experts as the class of the division. On July 23rd, 2016, Crawford put on a dazzling display of boxing. Crawford had Postel dizzy the entire night, as Postel was unable to utilize his incredible left jab once Crawford turned softball in the second round. Crawford's side to side movement and his counters over Postel's jab were too much for his opponent to overcome. All Postel could do was survive the 12 round decision, the distance rather, as he was totally outclassed. Another virtuoso performance by the Omaha, Nebraska native. The only thing left to accomplish at 140 was to unify all the belts. After two more successful defenses of his titles, the WBC, WBO, and Ring Magazine Super Lightweight Champion Crawford faced WBA and IBF Champion Julius Ndongo Indongo, in an attempt to become the first undisputed 140-pound champion in almost 15 years on August 19, 2017. Ndongo was considered a dangerous opponent for Crawford as the Nambian was a powerful puncher with a softball style. From the opening round, Crawford fought as a softball, which totally confused the much taller Indongo. In the second round, he dropped Indongo with a vicious right to the body. Then in the third round, Crawford became the undisputed 140-pound champion of the world with a spectacular left hook to Indongo's stomach that left him drowning on the canvas. After cleaning out after cleaning out the 140-pound division, the next step for Crawford was to move up and invade the single most talented division historically in boxing, the 147-pound division. On June 9, 2018, Crawford completely dominated the the Aussie Jeff Horn before referee Robert Byrd mercifully stopped the fight in the ninth round. Crawford won the WBO welterweight title with this one-sided beating of Jeff Horn. Since then, Crawford has successfully defended his title five times against less-than-stellar opposition. In order for Crawford to gain traction on my list, and this being the greatest fighters of the last 45 years, he must face and defeat Errol Spence, the other great welterweight of his generation. Until they face each other, Crawford is stuck at number 41, and Spence is on the outside looking in as far as being a member of the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. One of the biggest crimes in boxing history will occur if these men never face each other, as they are two undefeated fighters with with as complete a game as we will ever get to see in a boxing ring. By the way, it looks like that fight will occur this year. Both men... Are vocal about wanting each other in their next fight. Terence Crawford no longer is with Bob Arum at Top Rank. He's currently suing Bob Arum on the terms of racism. Um, Errol Spence recently in a fight that I get, I again predicted correctly. I predicted a tenth round stoppage. Errol Spence stopped Jordanis uh, Ugas in the tenth round. Just three weeks ago, and uh, Terrence Crawford is the WBO welterweight champion of the world, and Errol Spence is the IBF, WBC, and WBA champion of the world. I don't want to hear any nonsense about, oh, the WBA has a mandatory, oh, the IBF has a mandatory, the WBO has a mandatory for these guys to face. No. Forget those titles. If they want to strip these guys, strip them. There's only two welterweights at the top that need to fight each other. The only fight to be made is Errol Spence versus Terrence Bud Crawford. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that that fight will happen, and that's the only fight we need to see between these two guys within the next three to four months. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been my pleasure as always as I wrap up another edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. For for those who want to hear extra bon uh bonus coverage of boxing from me, extra bonus coverage of professional wrestling, the uh, which the staff here at Fight Game Media covers better than anybody else, AEW, WWE, New Japan, All Japan, Noah, Impact, uh, Bloodsport, the local Mud Show in Biloxi, Mississippi, and as well as a uh, great great. Mixed martial arts coverage, UFC, Bellator, the whole nine. Um, in the in the in the description, there's a link to our Patreon page for five dollars a month. You get all that coverage, and you get an extra show from me per month. And right now, I'm doing the greatest upsets in boxing history. So far, I've done three: uh, November of 1972, Esteban de Jesus' upset of Roberto Duran. Uh the fall of nineteen eighty-six, an upset by Lloyd Hunnigan over Donald Curry. Donald Curry. Terrence Crawford reminds me so much of that Donald Curry in his prime. And the last episode I did, the iconic upset, and this upset is a lot on is on the same level as Baval's upset of Canelo Alvarez, Frankie Randall's January twenty-ninth, nineteen ninety-four, upset over over Julio Cesar Chavez ending his 90 fight unbeaten streak. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, my pleasure. Talk to you great people next week.